Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you so much that you give us your whole heart. And God, it is my prayer that we would do the same, that we would give you our whole hearts and our whole minds, God, that they would be open to you, uh, not just today, but every day, God. But I do pray that especially now as we open up your word and, and look at the things that you have written for us, God, I pray that we would have hearts and minds that are open to receive uh, your truth. And pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. Today we continue our series, Behind Their Backs, which is about breaking down stereotypes and listening to what God has to say about people, some people that you might find difficult to love. And it's about sort of looking at God's heart. It was interesting, after first service, I had a guy stop me and he said, you know, I've been talking with somebody about faith in Jesus, and they have had a hard time coming to faith in Jesus because it seemed to them that God wasn't interested in other people, that in the Old Testament, God kind of was just interested in the Israelites and nobody else. And he said, those verses, he said, we don't talk a lot about those. He said, you know, can I have a copy of, of that? And so I, I made him one because I think in a lot of ways, we have sort of forgotten that God's heart for all people isn't it's not a New Testament idea, it's, it's an Old Testament idea, it's, it's God's idea, and it's always been God's heart for, for everybody to come. People like me, and people like you, and people different uh, from, from me, and different from you. And it's important that as a church, that we grab hold of this, this command of God, there in Leviticus 19, to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, Jesus and the Old Testament before him did not command us to love our neighbor as ourself because they wanted us to love the people that were easy to love. You know, we don't have to be commanded to love people that are easy to love. We have this command to love your neighbor as yourself for the people that are hard to love, the people that are difficult to love, the people that are challenging to love. And if we're going to be a church that is a church that's for our neighbors, we've got to love all of our neighbors, not just the ones we want to, not just the ones that look like us or, or talk like us or think like us or act like us or vote like us, but all of our neighbors. And that's what this is about, is claiming this truth and trying to live it out. And yet we live in a time when I think there's a lot of different viewpoints on something as controversial as the subject we're going to talk about today, uh, namely immigration, or as again, as the Scripture will say, they'll describe these people as refugees or strangers uh, among the people. And I just want to promise you two things. One is, uh, I'm not going to tell you how to vote, so there you get, some of you are all like worried about that, so that's, don't worry about that. And then the other thing I'm not going to tell you about, or I'm not going to tell you to do, is I'm, I'm not going to, um, I'm not going to tell you how to vote. I'm sorry, I've got some reason. You get sidetracked sometimes. Ever happened to you? Uh, I'm not going to tell you how to vote, and I'm not going to solve this issue for us. I know that there's a lot of different ways that people might approach the same problem, and so we're not going to solve all the issues here today. But my prayer for this sermon, and it has been for quite some time, is that we would look at what is God's heart for the stranger. What is God's heart for the refugee? What is God's heart for the immigrant? And then the challenge for us, for me and for you, is going to be then to try to enact you know, a, a community in which that is a reality. Try to, you know, to work for that, to practice that, to, to, yes, to vote towards those sorts of things. So that way we would become a people that live faithfully to the heart and to the desire of God. That's my prayer this morning, because God has got a lot to say. Scripture has a lot to say about people that are 
not from around these parts. How about this? Let's do a fun experiment. This is like my favorite fun social experiment to do. I do this often in groups. Um, I want to ask this question. How many of you are not from Bowling Green? Like, I'll give you Warren County. So put your hand up if you're not from Bowling Green. Oh, man, this is even more. How many of you, put your hands down just for fun now real quick. How many of you are from Bowling Green, Warren County? Like, you you are a native son or daughter of Bowling Green. All right, perfect. Okay, there's like eight of you. That's awesome. All right, put your hand down. All right, so you're surrounded, first of all. Let's just come to grips with that. All right, now put your hand back up if you're not from Bowling Green originally, and let's play this game. How many of you, put your hand down if you were if you were born in Kentucky. So if you're from the state of Kentucky, put your hand down. All right, we still got a lot of people here. How many of you were born not in a state that touches Kentucky? So uh, some of you are wondering, like, which states are those? I, I don't even know. All right, so just put your hand down if you're not from close. How about let's go, like, all the way out to the coast. How many of you are from a distance of that far? All right, how many of you were not, not from uh, America? You're not from... You're not from, okay, we got a couple here. We got Brian's from Dominican Republic and back, back here. I can't quite see who is this. Oh, yes. Where are you from? Colombia. Excellent. Right, right here. Where are you from? Mexico. Awesome. See, we're an international church. You had no idea, right? So awesome. Hey, thanks for participating. I appreciate that. All right, so Listen. It's reality. We live in a place that is a diverse place, and we live with people that aren't from around here, okay? I'm from California. You know, nobody's perfect, all right? So that's just how, that's just how this is, and God has got a lot to say to us about them, okay? About them. I, I want to read this verse here this morning, uh, Leviticus 19, 33 through 34. It's short. Why don't we read this together as a church? All right, here we go. It's on the screen. Here, here we are. Suppose an outsider lives with you in your land, then do not treat him badly. Treat him as if he were one of your own people. Love him as you love yourself. Remember that all of you were outsiders in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Amen. All right, so God right here through Moses, long before the time of Jesus, has something to say about this group of people I'm going to just call this morning them, okay? Who is them? Them is a group of neighbors not like me, all right? So that's who them is, all right? Them. They're not me. Uh, Nation of Israel, they were landlocked. They were surrounded by them. They had a lot of different neighbors. They had a lot of, of different neighbors who spoke different languages, who looked different, who had different ideas, and God took them seriously. And what he did as he is founding this nation, he's giving to Moses laws that the nation of Israel, the country of Israel, is going to govern itself by. And many of these laws pertain to them. Them is a group of people that consists for them of immigrants, of exiles, refugees, people looking for work. That's who them is. And regardless of how this foreign person ended up in the nation of Israel, God had some very specific things that he said, as people who follow me, God says, I want you to make sure that these provisions are in place. Uh, let me give you a few of them. Uh, how about this? Exodus 20:10. The seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work. 
you, your son, your daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock, or the alien resident in your towns. God has right here what we might call a a labor law. He says, listen, you cannot treat people as animals. You can't treat people as machines. We're human beings, not human doings. And so when it's Sabbath day, when it's the day of no work, that means nobody has to work. God is saying, I don't want you to to take advantage of them. I don't want you to exploit them. And you have a day of rest at their expense. He says, I want you to make sure that everybody is treated and afforded this opportunity to, to have a day of rest. Uh, there's uh, other laws in the Old Testament, laws that today we might call something like uh, the ability to have due process in a court of law to receive a fair trial. Deuteronomy 1.16 specifically says this, I charged your judges at that time, give the members of your community a fair hearing and judge rightly between one person and another, whether citizen or resident alien. Uh, this, you know, we talk a lot about justice being blind. God said that long before we came up with, with the statue for it. God said, listen, I want when people come to your courts, when people come for a hearing in a court of law, God says, I want you to treat this person who's not from here as fairly as you would treat a person that is from here. And if the two are opposed to each other, you treat them as the same person. You treat them as the same person. You give them justice. You give them fairness. There's another more basic command, one that strikes to the heart of this. God doesn't just want us to, you know, say, well, I'm going to give you a day of rest. I'm going to give you a fair trial. God actually says, I want you to love the stranger among you. Deuteronomy 10:19 says this, you shall also love the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. God says, listen, when, when folks who aren't from around these parts come and live among you, he says, I want you to love them and treat them like family. Not only that, out of this love, the poor were supposed to receive help providing for themselves. Things like being able to eat. Uh, There was a a mechanism in the Old Testament law that provided for folks who didn't have a job to be able to provide for themselves and their families. Leviticus 19.10 describes the practice. It says, you shall not strip your vineyard bare or gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the alien. I am the Lord your God. In this agrarian society that Israel was at this time, God uh, has several laws similar to this where he says, listen, when it comes to be harvest time and you're going to gather in all of your grain, you're gathering all of the food, he says, I want you to not bring everything. Don't pick it clean. He says, when you harvest your field, if you're harvesting wheat, he says, I want you to leave the edges alone. Don't, don't harvest the edges. Yes, you planted it, but no, you're not going to bring it in. You're going to leave it there. He says, if you're harvesting and you happen to drop something, he says, I want you to leave it there. He says, if, if you're shaking your olive trees and the olives fall and you notice that there's several olives left back up there, don't come back another day and shake it again until it's completely clean. He says, leave it there. He says, if you've got a vineyard and you go through and you harvest once and you leave some grapes on the vine, he says, and you notice that, don't go back and pick them. He says, if you drop them, don't go back and pick them up. You leave them there. What's the purpose of this? God says, I want you to leave them there so that way the folks 
in your community who don't have land, who don't have a job, who don't have the ability to provide for themselves, they can come to your field and they can harvest the things that are left over. He says, you know, out of your abundance, you've already harvested enough for all that you're going to need. You don't need the edges. You don't need the leftovers. You don't need the things that fall on the ground. He says, you don't need the things you forgot to pick up on the vine the first time. If you didn't pick it up the first time, you don't need it the second time. You leave that there for the folks that need something. God is providing a means for folks to be able to to work, to get something so that way they can provide for their needs and for their families. In addition to this, there's another mechanism within the Old Testament law that today we would think of as a tax. Scripture calls it a tithe. Now, there was one tithe that every Israelite throughout uh, the nation of Israel gave every year to support the work of the temple and the people that kept it, the priests and the Levites. But every three years, there was another tithe that was taken up. So you can think about it. I mean, annually, it's a 3% tax that Deuteronomy 26.12 says. It says, when you finish paying all the tithe of the produce in the third year, that's the year of the tithe, giving it to the Levites, notice who else, the aliens, the folks that aren't from around here, the orphans and the widows, so that they may eat their fill within your towns. Now, what is God commanding? He's saying that, listen, you're all going to pay this tithe, this tax, because it's regulated, it's required by the law of the government there for them. You're going to give this, and then we're going to take it and strategically give it to the poor in the community so that way they have their needs provided for. You know, today we've got a word for that. We call it, you know, welfare or social, you know, safety system, whatever you want to call it. God said, I want you to do that. I want you to provide for the people that cannot provide for themselves. Finally, in addition to all of these things, God had an, another plan. Uh, it's a prophetic vision that Ezekiel shares with us in Ezekiel 47, where he says, you know, all these people that you've cared for, he says, I want these strangers to become friends, and I want them to eventually become family, so much that they receive an inheritance of this promise that I've given to you. Ezekiel 47 says this, you shall allot it, that's the land, the land that God gave to the nation of Israel. He says, I want you to allot it as an inheritance for yourselves and for the aliens who reside among you and have begotten children among you. God says, I want you to provide for these folks. I want you to bring them in. He says, they shall be to you as citizens of Israel. With you, they shall be allotted an inheritance among the tribes of Israel. In whatever tribe the aliens reside, there you shall assign them their inheritance, says the Lord God. God says, listen, I want you to love these folks that come, that are seeking a place among you. I want you to give them a place. I want you to provide for them. I want you to welcome them in. I want them to become a part of this family. That's God's heart just in the Old Testament. That the immigrant, the stranger, the exile, that they would be provided for through things like charity, through welfare, through fair trial, through laws. And yet, as I talk about that, I know that some folks, maybe you, are saying, well, that's enough about them. What about me? And that's the, the, the problem we've got, is because me is the center of my world, right? You know, there's nobody I think about more than myself. I just got to own that. And, and if we're being honest, there's nobody you think about more than yourself. You know, when you get hungry, you think about your needs. When you get tired, you think about your need to sleep. When, when you're going someplace, you know, every other bozo on the road is out to thwart your, you know, travel plans. I'm thinking about me. And God says, you know what, it's, it's enough. It's time to think also about them. 
But let's think about this word me, right? I mean, how do we define me? Often I define myself by who I'm not. I'm me, I'm not them. I'm me, I'm not like you. I'm me, I'm not this. But if we're going to define ourselves in positive terms, how would we define ourselves? If somebody were to ask you, define yourself to me, tell me who you are, how would you define yourself? Would it be by maybe your occupation, by the things that you do, you know, Monday through Friday, nine to five? What is that? How you define yourself? Would you define yourself as maybe a, a father, a mother, brother, sister, son, daughter? It, would you define yourself as American? How, how far down this list would you have to go before you defined yourself as a Christian, as a Christ follower? How far down would you have to go before you got to that? I love what Tony Evans has to say about this. He says that we have too many, you've got to pay attention here, he's, Tony's, he's subtle, he's sharp, he's good. He says this, he says, we have too many American Christians and not enough Christian Americans. What do you think about that? We have too many American Christians, not enough Christian Americans. And you go, well, what's the difference? Well, here's what he says. He says the word that's in the adjectival position. That's a good word, right? The adjectival position. The word that describes the noun. So if, if I'm a Christian, that's the noun. If I'm an American Christian, the American now becomes the adjective. It's defining the noun Christian. The word in the adjectival position, Tony Evans says, he says it gives shape to the noun. It defines the noun. It, in essence, governs the noun, how it's going to behave and how it's going to act. He says, until we put Christian in the adjectival position, he says, we won't ever really follow Christianity or Christ the way he called us to. We'll always be being Americans first, defining our Christianity through our Americanness. And he says, that is not what God has called us to. He, he says that because I, I think that's what Peter says. You might remember Peter. He was one of Jesus' disciples' closest friends. Here's what he tells the church. He says, dear friends, so that way you're not confused, you are outsiders and strangers in this world. That's what he says. He's writing this to Jewish folks. He's writing this to Gentile folks. He's writing this to people who are citizens in the Roman Empire. He's writing these people who are, are citizens in the nation of Israel. He says, listen, don't be confused. He says, you're not Romans. He says, you're not Jewish folks. He says, you are strangers in this world. That's who you are. You are an outsider. He says, so don't give in to your sinful longings. They fight against your soul. In other words, let Christian be the word that is in the adjectival position. Don't get too comfortable here. Don't be confused and think that you're defined by anything other than Christ. As a Christ follower, we are called to seek first God, His kingdom, and long for our heavenly home. We live in a lot of ease and comfort today. We fight to protect it. You know, we war to protect it. We sue to protect somebody from taking what is our own. And God says, listen, none of this is yours. Don't get too comfortable. Yes, we have a promise. Yes, we have an inheritance. Yes, we have a kingdom. But it's not this one. It's the kingdom of heaven. Jesus has gone to prepare our place for us. That's what he said. He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. We should be busy preparing ourselves and those around us to go to that place. But instead, many, myself included, we define ourselves often as something else. We allow maybe this word American, this culture, to, to define who we are, and we adopt the values of those around us instead of adopting the values of Christ. 
this is something that God warned the nation of Israel against. In Joshua 23, notice what he says. He says, don't have anything to do with the nations that remain among you. What does he mean? He says, don't, don't use the names of their gods for any reason at all. In other words, you, you can love these people, and if they come and seek refuge in you, we've already looked at the verses where he says, I want you to welcome those folks. You treat them as that, but he says, you're not going to accept their values. You're not going to worship their gods. You're not going to take oaths and make promises in the names of their gods. You're not going to serve their gods. You must not bow down to them. You must remain true to the Lord your God as you have done until now. In other words, God is saying, love these people, welcome them, but don't take their values on as your own. It's interesting to me, we live in a time and a place where statistically there's not a whole lot of difference between Christians and non-Christians in regards to things like divorce or viewing pornography, living in debt. Friends, I think we have bowed down to the idols of our land. We have coveted them. We have taken their gods as our own. I I include myself in this. Instead, we should have embraced the people. We should have left their gods, and we have brought, should have brought over us the one true God, the God who is powerful enough to welcome outsiders into his family, who is able to redeem us all from our idolatry, and who is able to unite us in love through Jesus Christ. That's the hope and the vision and the prayer that, that Paul shares with us in Galatians 3. He says there's no longer Jew or Greek. There's no longer slave or free. There's no longer male and female. He says you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Here's what Paul is saying. It's a little different math. He's saying that them plus me in Christ equals us. That's what he's saying. He's saying them plus me in Christ equals us. Because the truth is that every single person that draws breath and walks on this planet is a sinner in need of God's grace. And if there were rights given to the foreigner under the Old Testament law, how many more rights do they have now in Christ when God has brought them and me together as us? Friends, we can no longer look at each other or others as foreign because if we belong to Christ... And if God is our Father, then all of His children are our brothers and sisters. It's no longer enough for us to say me versus them. It's me plus them makes us. This has been God's heart from the beginning. This is why God called Abraham. He said, Abraham, through you, I'm going to bless all the nations of the world. This is why He called the Israelites. He said, I'm going to make you a kingdom of priests so that way the whole world knows about me and can come to me and can relate to me. This is why He sent Jesus Christ to bring together the two. In that text we read from Ephesians at the very beginning, that break down this wall of hostility and unite them and me into us in Jesus Christ. Martin Luther King Jr. gave his immortal speech where he said, I have a dream. And his dream was primarily this, that my four children, he says, will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. That beautiful dream was his, but it was actually God's first. God had that dream. Because God, as the impartial judge, was trying to teach us from the very beginning to evaluate people not on the exterior, but on the interior. 1 Samuel 16, 7 says this, The Lord does not look at the things people look at. The Lord, people look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Friends, this is how God looks at us. It's how we want people to look at us. 
It's how we need to start looking at each other. If we start to do this and we start to really realize that God has called us to, to love all of the nations, then what we're doing is we're getting a little bit closer to that vision that we know will be a reality at some point in time in heaven. You go to the book of Revelation, what does it say? It says that in heaven there's going to be people from every tongue and tribe and nation, and they're all going to come together, and they're all going to be part of God's kingdom, and they're all going to worship God. That's what the reality is. And that word for tongue is so specific. It's not just simple languages, but it's dialects. It's accents, which means people in the south are going to be in heaven, along with people in the north, along with the people that have that valley accent out in California. They're all going to be there, along with every other person around the globe that calls on the name of Jesus Christ. I think Jesus sums up this teaching pretty nicely in Matthew 5.48. He says this, in a word... What I'm saying is, grow up. Your kingdom subjects. Now live like it. Live out your God created identity. Live generously and graciously towards others the way that God lives towards you. Friends, we are called to live in godliness and grace, to realize whose kingdom we're truly a part of, and to live in an ethic of love and, and peacemaking that Jesus said would make us called the children of our Heavenly Father. It was a little sad. Uh, I ran across this uh, Pew Forum poll from 2010. They asked America this question, uh, do you feel that immigration strengthens America or not? Do you feel that immigrants strengthen America or they, they don't? Uh, national poll, 42% of Americans said that they felt that immigrants strengthen America. 42%. Not quite half, 42%. Pretty big number. They then uh, broke those numbers down, and they you know, singled out the white evangelical respondents. And if all of America together in the aggregate said 42% felt that immigrants strengthened America, guess how many of the white evangelical felt that immigrants strengthened America? 12%. 12%. Friends, this should not be... I mean, the people that God has called to show His love, that God said, go into all the world. They're the ones who are saying, no, our door is shut to you. Friends, if, if it's true that in Christ, them plus me equals us, how do we work that out? You know, the world has come and it is coming to us, and God wants us to welcome and share His love with the people we meet. J.D. Payne talks about this in his book, The Strangers Next Door. He shares this experience about living in Toronto, and he and his wife were there. They were sort of planting a church with a, all the things, a, sort of a Chinese church that was in Toronto. They were starting an English-speaking congregation. Try to keep all that straight, will you? Um, so they're there. They're working with this church plant. And this guy's wife, Linda, she's, she needs to get her hair done, and so she just happens to go down to this hair salon, and it's run by a gal from the Philippines. And as they're talking, they, they realize real quickly that they're both Christians, and that's a neat experience for them to share that. Uh, about a month or two later, she comes back another time for her hair to get done, and, and the gal she saw before is busy, and so she finds another gal there, and, and they start to talk and realize this lady's just moved to America from China, uh, and this lady is there, and they're talking, and, and she said, well, that's interesting. She said, my husband and I, you know, we're working with this Chinese congregation, and the, the new Chinese hairdresser, she said, well, you know, it's interesting. She said, I've moved here, and it's this Filipino lady that she's led me to Jesus Christ, and I'm now a Christ follower because of her. Uh, a couple more months go by, and she comes back to the shop, and there's a lady there from Somalia, 
And as they start talking, you know, Linda, she knows that the majority of the folks in Somalia, they're, they're Muslim. And so she's kind of hoping that they'll be able to have a conversation about faith. And so they start to talk a little bit about God and the Somali lady sort of cuts her off and she says, you know what? She said, I, I, I've become a Christ follower too. She said, it was the Chinese lady that led me to Jesus. Friends, it shouldn't be that folks coming to our homeland are beating us and sharing the love of Jesus to others. If we've welcomed you to our house, if we've welcomed you to our home, if we've welcomed anybody to our community, it is time for us to say, you know what, we want you to experience the love of Jesus Christ. And we should be the ones who roll out the welcome mat of love and acceptance. It's time that we open our hearts, that we engage the people who are different from us because God wants them to know him. God wants them to put their faith in him because in Christ, them plus me equals us. As we wrap this up, I kind of want to just ask you a few questions, make you think about it a little bit this week. Is there any group of people that you have a hard time showing love to? You don't have to answer that out loud. Maybe you shouldn't answer that out loud, but you probably should think about it. And ask yourself this, Why? Are you afraid of them? Are you afraid of what they might do or say? And why are you afraid? I I suspect if there's fear, it's probably because we're too busy being American Christians than Christian Americans. And it's time for us to maybe flip that around. Are you more concerned about being an American Christian or a Christian American? that's something to think about. How about this? Here's something you can do. This week, you know, we just saw here this morning that the majority of people in Bowling Green, I'm convinced, are not from Bowling Green. One of the best questions you can do is just ask people, where where are you from? Tell me about where you're from. Tell me what you like about this place. What don't you like about this place? Tell me about the place you're from. I I tell you, that's my favorite question to ask because I love visiting different places, going to different places, meeting people from different places. And I'll tell you, I think if you start to ask that question, and you do it with honest curiosity and and love and and warmth, I think that you will learn a lot about the people that have come to be a part of our community. And it'll be the first question in a long conversation, hopefully, about the love of Jesus Christ. I think that's what we all need to do, is realize that it's time for us to start having these conversations, engaging people, not talk about them, but talk to them, because them plus me in Christ is us. Let me pray. Gracious Lord, I thank you so much for your word that does challenge us, that does call us to move beyond ourselves and into your grace. God, I pray that you would bless us today and this week as we attempt to be ambassadors of love, people that show the love of Jesus who's welcomed not just us, but everybody into your kingdom, everybody who would call on the name of Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. This morning, uh, we're going to sing a song of decision here in a second. And perhaps it's time for you to make a decision to receive Jesus Christ or to become a member of Bowling Green Christian Church. Or maybe you need prayer here this morning. If that's the case, we'll invite you to come forward as we sing the song. Otherwise, let's sing the song and prepare our hearts uh, to come together around the table where we celebrate the work of Jesus Christ and making them and me into us in Jesus. Why don't you stand as we sing?